0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional terms apply. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520, blanketing 17 states and much of Canada, as we have received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand at ESPN AM 1520. My guest today is an author, well known in the television field, entertainment paul noble and he also has a lovely wife paulette cooper noble the book is my first eighty three years but looking at him in person i think he looks about sixty three Paul noble a queens new york native and cornell university graduate has produced eleanor roosevelt's television show bishop fulton j sheen's program midday live and numerous other programs After retiring from Lifetime Television, where he chose movies, he moved to Palm Beach, Florida, where we're taping, with his lovely wife, Paulette Cooper Noble. A man of tremendous accomplishments. He understands the entertainment industry frontwards and backwards. We're going to be talking about this book that our listeners throughout the U.S. and Canada can go to Amazon And by this book, it is My First 83 Years by Paul Noble, our guest today on The Rust Report. Now, Paul, in this book, you have a whole chapter on Eleanor Roosevelt, the former first lady of the United States, who was a flamboyant woman, a colorful woman. Flamboyant? I don't think I would
1: use that word at all. Okay, how would you describe her? Well, she certainly was more grave and flamboyant. Okay. However, her personality and her compassion made her an extraordinary force. Uh, You know that Harry Truman called her the first lady of the world. She was the woman who shepherded through the Declaration of Human Rights at the United Nations. This is after her husband passed away, so she indeed had a second life after being first lady, uh, a woman whose compassion never ended right up to the end. She uh, she died at the age of 78, by the way, still taping television shows, still lecturing on the circuit, and still writing her daily columns and so on. She was an amazing force. Uh, there's never been anybody like her since that time and there was never anybody like her before that time. She invented the idea of a First Lady in a sense because she had the energy and the stamina and as I said the compassion that maybe a hundred people had all rolled into one.
0: Sounds like an amazing woman. Uh, I I never met her but
1: it's, it's a very interesting chapter in your book. Actually, it's two chapters on Mrs. Roosevelt. We did two chapters. The first chapter is really about uh, her first year working uh, at WGBH-TV in Boston and at Brandeis University on the campus of Brandeis where we taped the show. And we talk about her meeting with uh, JFK and so on. It's really an extraordinary story. That story in itself is is almost worth a book. As you know, uh, JFK needed as much support as he could get politically and he thought that Mrs. Roosevelt's support would be truly helpful to him in terms of winning the election. And so he wanted Mrs. Roosevelt on the show and he acceded to her wishes to do a few things. One was to promise that he would institute a peace corps, a national international peace corps, if she supported him. And he also agreed to be on our television show and announce it on that show. And that that program, which was the second time we worked with JFK, was done in the White House basement, in the very room in which Franklin Delano Roosevelt conducted his fireside chats. Now, do you know what a fireside chat was? Oh, I know
0: what they were on
1: radio where he spoke very warmly and matter-of-factly to the people of the United States. And he did that to help us get through the Great Depression and the Second World War. He did 30 odd shows out of this room in front of supposedly a fireside. It wasn't. It was a room under the west portico of the White House in the basement, no fireplace in sight, but it was the only room at the time in the 30s and 40s that was soundproofed in the White House. And that's why they chose that room. Well, by the time I got to it, in February of 1961, a few weeks after he was inaugurated, uh, this room was stuffed with all of the furniture that Jackie Kennedy had relegated to the basement because she could not stand Mamie Eisenhower's taste in furniture. So she, all the furniture was there. So... The White House aides and I stripped the room of this mm-hmm. furniture, and we set up a little studio so that she could interview JFK. And in that fifteen-minute segment, he announced the Peace Corps. Now, the, I, I must add a couple of other things that mm-hmm. happened during this okay. this uh, this period, because just as we were taping, I was in the bus, the remote the remote bus outside the. Uh, Studio, uh, Pierre Salinger, who was the press secretary, stepped up behind me and he said, after you have finished a segment and you faded to black, mm-hmm. come up on the presidential seal, <coughs> cue the president, and he will talk yeah. for 55 seconds about the Red Cross blood bank. Now, I had heard yeah. that JFK had a photographic memory. I'd never seen it in action, of course. And he did it. We came up on the president, he talked for 55 seconds, he had, must have seen a piece of paper, a one sheet, just before taping, and he had it perfectly timed out and precisely delivered. It was an incredible moment. So I realized that he had a special a special technique in his hip pocket that he could call upon at any time to sound as though he uh, he was well-informed, and that he was well prepared.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about uh, President John F. Kennedy and it's uh, interesting that we're taping this program in Palm Beach, Florida, where President Kennedy spent many winters uh, during his uh, short lifetime and his father and mother were here in Palm Beach, Florida. You know, I I, I I put on my my,
1: my Facebook page Mm -hmm. at this time of year, I put up a photograph that I found of the Paramount Theater building which still exists, by the way, in Palm Beach on North County Road. And the Paramount Theater's marquee says, Merry Christmas to JFK and the whole family. And it is an incredible shot to see today in the context of what that building is now. Now it's a series of offices and a little church, uh, but it's maintained magnificently. And this community really adored the Kennedy family, and they, wherever they went, became a very important landmark immediately.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit more about JFK, the man. You talked about his memory. I knew very well his two priests, uh, Monsignor Jeremiah Patrick O'Mahony and Father Hartnett, who was very close to Rose Kennedy. In fact, um, you were kind enough to take me to the show Rose by Lawrence Lemer who was also a Palm Beach resident when it aired, it it was shown in Boca Raton. Let's talk about the... You spent time with President John F. Kennedy. You were with Pierre Salinger, who ran the press conferences at the Towers here. I'll tell you a very interesting story. Tell us about John F. Kennedy. I'll tell you a
1: very interesting story about him. The first time we met him, uh, he he was a little unsure about Mrs. Roosevelt, because she hadn't yet committed to him, Mm -hmm. to supporting him. And so... He did come to Brandeis University to do that show, thanks to our executive producer, Henry Morgenthau, who knew him from prep school days and who uh, convinced him to come and to let him know that it would be very important for Mrs. Roosevelt to have an opportunity to see him face to face. Mm -hmm. Well, he walked in and I uh, said, uh, Senator Kennedy, would you be willing to wear one of our TV blue shirts so you're your face color comes out all right on camera and so on he said, oh yeah absolutely so he gave me his shirt a j press 16 and a half inch neck a 35 inch sleeve shirt and i gave him one of ours from a a whole pile of shirts that i had amassed for this occasion now his shirt was monogrammed and everything so fool that i am i sent it back to him after i had it laundered i sent it back to him at the senate office building instead of keeping it I mean, I could be wearing that shirt right now while I. Uh, you could also sell this it for $100,000. That, or <laughs> donate it to the, the Smithsonian. There was any number of things. But uh, President Kennedy, uh, then Senator Kennedy, was an extraordinary man who did not know that first time that we met that at the press conference, immediately after the taping, that one of the people in that press conference, in fact the man who asked the first question, was the man who literally did in his father. Now, our viewers may not, or listeners may not know, but in 1939, our ambassador to England, to the court of St. James, was JFK's father. Who was pro-Hitler. Pro-Hitler. Joe Kennedy. And he came to this off the record press conference in, mm-hmm. in a hotel in Boston and said now he said i don't think britain should get uh, our support at all right. we'll let them be absorbed by the nazis it's uh, the germans it's the best i mean it's the only way we they are not going to survive and we shouldn't waste our efforts t- to help them now the, mrs roosevelt told me this story uh, the next morning <clears throat> she saw the story which was printed in the Boston Globe and every paper worldwide. Mm -hmm. And she went with the paper right into Franklin's bedroom and said, Franklin, fire that man. And that's how JFK's father lost his job. Well, that was terrible how
0: a man could have been pro-Hitler with this horrible, uh, vicious animal-like behavior. We're talking to Paul Noble the book is my first 83 years you can get it at Amazon it's by Paul Noble with Paulette Cooper Noble and it talks about all his meetings and uh, experiences with Muhammad Ali Lucille Ball Arishnikov John Belushi Bill Boggs Alan Burke Mark Chagall and it goes on and on and on again get it at Amazon it's a quick read it's very interesting very colorful with so many famous people that he has met. You
1: didn't mention uh, Bertrand Russell. Okay. Now, your listeners know of Bertrand Russell? He was a great philosopher, a mathematician, right. a rouet, a socialist, and an atheist. And he was very famous in Britain. So when we did a few shows in England right. in 1960, uh, that was the first time I was over the other side of the Atlantic. Bertrand Russell was top of our list, and sure enough, he accepted to be on a show. So I was seated next to him at lunch by everybody else. Mm-hmm. All of the other celebrity politicians, Hugh Gateskill and Lord Boothby, and all those people said, came over to me, and Soto Voce said to me, you sit next to Russell because he vomits, you know. He just can't hold down his food. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they'd obviously had experience so I ordered bouillon and ice cream for him, and we had a very nice lunch. The rest of us, uh, we had the uh, Scottish salmon and the duckling and the sherry trifle, like you would expect at a BBC luncheon. All right. and, uh, at, and Lord Russell held it all back, but and he was a wonderful, wonderful uh, raconteur, mm-hmm. a wit. He was 88 at the time. Yeah. And I handed him the press, the uh, the standard release form. And at the bottom of the standard release form, there's a place for parent signature. And he said, Must I have my parents sign this? <laughs> and I said, Yes, Lord Russell, teasing him too. I said, Where does your father live? And he said, Well, that is a question that can only be answered by theologians. <laughs> now, that's the kind of uh, wit that you pray for and you never know what you're going to get. Coming, uh, from <laughs> coming from an atheist. Coming from an atheist. From that's marvelous good.
0: guy. That's good. Well, if anyone is listening and would like to drop us a note, we'd like to hear from you. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always read cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. Please subscribe to the AMPOL Legal newspaper that has the latest events on polkas and Polish culture in western New York, the Ampole Eagle newspaper. And this program follows many we've had with authors in the last 30 years, including Morris West, author of Shoes of the Fisherman, General Alexander Haig, who wrote Caveat, and Douglas Fairbanks, Jr., who wrote Salad Days. Drop us a note. We'd like to hear from you. For those who have just tuned in, Paul Noble, a Queens native and Cornell University graduate, has produced Eleanor Roosevelt's TV show Bishop Fulton J Sheen's program Midday Live and numerous other programs. The book again is My First 83 Years. It is available at Amazon. We're talking about the highlights of the book. Now, you're not Catholic, but you had great admiration for probably one of the most prolific and brilliant Catholic leaders in the last century who you were involved with this television show Bishop Fulton Sheen. Tell us,
1: what was he like? Was he this big TV star? What was he like? Oh, no. About as humble and as uh, amusing as uh, anyone could be in that exalted position. You know, in, in 1939, well before I was in the television business, but in 1939, he uh, conducted Mass at the skating rink at Rockefeller Center in a test broadcast for the then-fledgling channel in New York that RCA had just set up. This is about the time of the World's Fair in '39. But Bishop Sheaton did, did did the Mass. He, I don't think he was yet a bishop. I, I think he was just a, a, a priest. I just don't know. Anyway, he. Um, the reason I know that is because The fellow I worked with who directed the show for us, Leo O'Farrell, was a choir boy in a local New York City parish who was invited to be in the chorus behind Bishop Sheen during this Mass. So he had later joined this our station, Channel 5, in New York in the 50s. uh, And he then, as an adult, moved up the ladder until when Bishop Sheen was ready to do a color series, Leo became his director. So Bishop Sheen had a long history in television and he really understood the use of the medium. He knew how to look into the camera, something that not everybody learned. Uh, I I, I always tell people when I prepare them to on television, don't worry about a huge audience. Just think of one woman in hair curlers standing at her ironing board and try and get her attention. Well, he, he had that perfectly done. He had these thick set eyes which helped also. Uh, he was a really great communicator and he never talked above the audience but he made he brought he brought them up to a level of philosophy and of spirituality that very few people ever considered doing. And so he was a real competitor to Milton Burl, Mr. Television, who was next door on Channel 4 in those days. And he had a great sense of humor. He he wasn't uh, above telling jokes. Do you want me to tell you the, the joke that I, I use as the an one example? In a, yes,
0: that, that, in fact, uh, uh, noted uh, entrepreneur and international business leader John Castle chair of the Board of Castle Harlan, Inc., when I uh, read from Paul Noble's book, again, the book is My First 83 Years, the joke. Castle was just thrilled and laughing so hard. So tell us the, the famous joke of Bishop Sheen in the book My First 83
1: Years, Paul Noble. I don't know where he got this joke, but it it, it was it tickled him. So he told it more than once that I can re- recall. Uh, a man goes to his barber and says, uh, I need a particularly good haircut right now, because I am going to Italy. And the barber said, wonderful, uh, how are you flying? He said, well, we're going Pan Am. And Bishop, she- uh, the, 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 sorry, the uh, the barber says, oh no, you, you can't go Pan Am, that's a terrible airline, it's always late. And, and where are you staying? Well, we're going to stay at the Excelsior Hotel on the Via Veneto in Rome. <laughs> oh no, what a terrible, decrepit place that has become. And what are you going to do while you're in Rome? Said, well, we have a private audience with a Pope At the Vatican. Oh, that's impossible! The barber said, "You'll never, ever, get to see him." Three weeks go by, and he comes back for his haircut. And the barber says, "Well, how was your trip to Italy?" He said, "It was sensational. We went pan Am. not only was it on time, but they bumped us up to business class. It was uh, just—we slept all the way. It was wonderful. We got to the hotel. They gave us a newly redone suite." They threw in the continental breakfast every day at no extra charge. It was magnificent. The barber said, did you get to see the Pope? Oh, yes, yes. We had a private audience (laughs) with the Pope. And what did the the Pope say to you? He said, where would you get that lousy haircut? (laughs) It's a great
0: joke. It's very good. And uh, it's all in the book, My First 83 Years, by Paul Noble. And now I want to talk about Miss Lovely, Your wife, we have about five minutes left on the Rust Report on ESPN AM 1520 Radio. If you have any thoughts or comments, please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. Now, Paul Noble is married to Paulette Cooper Noble. She has written 26 books, over 1,000 articles, and has won nine writing awards. And the book that is so compelling is about her horrible, horrible experiences with Scientology, but also the book tells about her very tough uh, childhood, losing her parents to the horrible concentration camp Auschwitz in Poland. Let's
1: talk about for, for, Your Divine first, Wife. Let me just say that Paulette was never a member of Scientology. She was an investigative reporter. right, And she was outraged because outrage was almost her middle name. Her father was taken to Auschwitz uh, three days before she was born. Her mother, perhaps a few weeks later, she and her two-year-old sister were rescued from the back room of an apartment by a relative. They were shuttled between orphanages and for a full year, they were really on the run. Finally, at the age of 11 months, they found themselves, my, remember my wife was 11 months old, her sister her sister 3 years old, they were about to be deported by train. And, you know, children, infants, young kids, they would be murdered by the time they got there if they survived the train trip to Auschwitz. Well, a friend of her father's, her late father's, her friend of her father's, bribed a Nazi guard, uh, the same kind of guard that you would see in the movie Schindler's List, mm-hmm. and managed to get Paulette and her sister out and into another series of orphanages in Brussels, which was a bit safer, and Paulette was uh, adopted six after, at the age of six and brought to the United States. But outrage, as I said, was something that she understood. And as a young woman, she found a cult that was really upsetting the apple cart for a lot of people. Uh, She called it a cross between uh, the mafia and the moonies. Mm -hmm. That was Scientology. she She wrote a book called The Scandal of Scientology. And today, her latest book is... Battlefield Scientology, which she's co-written with the author of the autobiography, pardon me, the biography of Paulette Cooper, which is called The Unbreakable Miss Lovely. So, she's she's been through it. Anyway, she's a fabulous woman, a great wife, and I met her before she got involved with Scientology. And if I had married her then, it's very possible she never would have discovered this subject to to uh, to attack. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I'm partly responsible for her getting involved in this. Well, it, it, it's a great book about your wife. Again, the book
0: we're talking about today, and there is a whole chapter on Paulette Cooper Noble. The book is My First 83 Years, available at Amazon Worldwide. Uh, the author is our guest today, Paul Noble. He also spoke where we hailed this program from in Buffalo, New York, at Damon College with his wife. And we'll have coming up on this program former Ambassador Eric Javits, Congressman Chris Collins. Uh, special uh, thanks to those who contacted me regarding Judge Frank Caruso, Rich Kelman, who was with the NBC affiliate in Buffalo, and Mike Cracker with Unshackle New York. Let's talk about your next 83 years. The book is called My First 83 Years. What are your new challenges? Well, I'm
1: taking notes for the first time you know, for my first 83 years I, I kept no diaries, no notes yeah. no, no tapes and I had to reconstruct everything from memory it took a few months and then it took a few months to edit it now I I think I'm going to set things down properly so that I really have a book ready to go uh, that's what uh, the, the main thing I think that's going to happen I also since this book actually was a fairly easy project for me despite Mm -hmm. everything. I I think I might do some other writing, too. Very good. Um, Oh,
0: golden era of television. You spoke on this in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, and around the country, and also at Damon College in Buffalo. We have a minute left. When was the
1: golden period of television? To be honest with you, it's right now. Uh, I know that the golden age is referred to, the 50s, the great dramas and all. That stuff is inconsequential except as uh, a experimental laboratory for what was to come. I believe that the golden age of television is right now. You have more choices of excellent material, whether it be on cable or streaming or, or on your network stations even. They're still in business, by the way. And so I am all for uh, supporting and celebrating the current television.
0: Very good. I'm sorry we have to bring the Rust Report on
1: ESPN AM 1520
0: to a close. Uh, Again, our guest has been Paul Noble, the author of the book, My First 83 Years, available at Amazon. Again, please subscribe to the Ampol Legal newspaper for events in Polonia and Poland. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, our director of production for 15 years. And thank you for enlightening us about your book, My First 83 Years, Paul Noble. Have a great week